You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 164, Jill Bentham and Living in the Locks with the Lord. This has got a water theme. It's going to be fun. Welcome to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. I'm your host, Eric Nevins, and I can't wait to bring you this conversation. We are talking today with author and journaler, and she's been a nurse for over 30 years, um, but I can't wait to talk about her books. We are talking with Jill Bentham. Jill, welcome to Halfway There. Thank you. Um, this is a real privilege I've enjoyed listening to some of your podcasts, Eric, and uh, I love the way that you draw people out. Oh, thank you. Well, that is really nice of you to say. I think it's uh, it's been one of the great things that I've learned how to do, and it's for me, it's one of those things I learned how to do in a call center where I was miserable. <laughs> and so I like to remind both myself and others that sometimes God's using even the things you don't think he will. Oh, yes. That's very, very true. And I'm sure we'll talk about some of that. So let's uh, tell us a little bit about who you are. I mentioned just a brief overview, but tell us, you know, who you are and where God has you right now. Yeah, um, I am a northerner primarily from England, and um, I have been brought up as a Christian. I was taken to church apparently at six weeks old. Um, but as with so many teenagers um, who have been brought up in church, I was bored with that and uh, started to express um, desires toward God. And I believed he was there, mm-hmm. um, that if you're real, will you show yourself to me? So that's really when uh, things came alive for me. I had quite a traditional Methodist upbringing, loving okay. parents, kind, strict, um, the way they expressed their love was to um, bring my sister and I up in a home that provided for us and gave us great experiences and education. Um, We didn't always necessarily feel that love, um, probably just a hangover from their upbringing, really, that they weren't very expressive. Um, But I certainly had a rich childhood, and um, that took me towards a desire and I think because I was a sensitive child um, to work with people and an early experience in hospital as a five-year-old may have been formative in deciding that I became a nurse which I did stick to right the way through my childhood. A little bit of a tussle with my artistic inclinations. (laughs) Yeah. I really did seriously consider doing an art, fine art degree Um, And my art teacher was fairly disappointed that I didn't pursue that. Um, So there's been a thread of frustrated artists in there ever since. Um, And to some extent, I never really fitted into nursing. I think that that it does uh, reward people who are very detail-orientated and task-orientated. And I was much more visionary and... um, sensitive I was much more interested in the relational side of nursing Mm, than the technical side Uh, so I found myself in the um, domain of palliative care which 
is definitely quite different to most of the rest of my experience of nursing and does give people a wonderful um, control over their destiny as patients. It does really respect their rights to choose where they want to be, how they are managed and um, what priorities they have in terms of their symptom control, pain, right. or how they spend their time. Because palliative care is is what? That's like not hospice, but before that, right? Well, it is. It does include hospice, okay. and um, but it is it entails symptom management, home support, care as family support, and it does also include the end of life, gotcha, and bereavement support as well. Yeah, so quite ta- quite challenging. But I always felt far more challenging to do well in a busy acute ward. So I gravitated toward the hospice environment because it was much more set up to do that. Well. Yeah. More relational, sounds like. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Interesting. In fact, one of the hospices I worked in, we never wore uniforms. I loved that because <laughs> you were obliged to introduce yourself and explain who you were and what you were there for. And it put you on a level playing field with the patient, whereas there's a lot of power dynamics in healthcare that I was very uncomfortable with. Oh, very interesting. Okay. So I want to go back to your childhood a little bit because you said you had a a Methodist upbringing. And so for most of my audience who's going to be in the United States, Mm -hmm. that's going to be maybe different than we've we've heard before. So I'd love for you just to unpack what that means a little bit. Well, it did have its roots in a spiritual awakening in its founder, John Wesley. Yeah. that he was awakened by the Holy Spirit. Uh, But like so many denominations, um, along the way and through time, things become more and more formal and rigid. Um, But Methodists uh, prided themselves on stripping away all the the paraphernalia that we do see sometimes in the Church of England, the aesthetics, the stained glass, um, the high altar. Everything was whitewashed, ordinary benches, pews, um, plain hymn books, yeah. very ordinary. Everything was stripped down. And um, that was quite boring for a youngster. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, yeah, which is a really interesting, because we, we deal with a lot of that over here as well, right? The Just the Protestant, like, we don't have any liturgy. We don't have any, yeah. you know, there's yeah. very low no. church. And. Um, yeah, I can see I can see the value of simplicity, and I know that there's definitely a move back towards that in the contemplative type of Christianity that's re-emerging. Um, but I honestly didn't really understand the gospel as a child, despite having been to church nearly every Sunday of my life. Uh, too much of it had been watered down to points and poems and illustrations, and. Right. Uh, I was annoyed. I was frustrated. I felt, why don't I understand the Bible? Why don't I know it well inside out? I I don't feel as though I'm being fed here. I didn't have that language, but that's the way I was feeling. Yeah, which is interesting. Were Were you a kid who was like always aware of that or was it just... Um, as a child, I enjoyed all the um, children-orientated activities, the gotcha. Sunday school, the play-orientated um, learning. But uh, really, fairly soon into my early teens, I was really quite restless with the whole thing. I was, I was quite keen to leave. And um, if I hadn't really gone to university and found true life 
uh, I think that I would have struggled. But there were three years between being 15 and 18. So I became a Christian as a result of a campaign or, or a, a, an outreach from a Methodist Bible college team that visited our, our area. And the penny dropped wonderfully. Uh-huh. And, uh, but then there were three years of very um, self-directed stu- sort of self-study. And as a, as a natural academic, I managed that. But it was only really going to university and learning about what real fellowship was and who the Holy Spirit is. Oh, yeah. I started to waken up. Well, so, what, so you said the penny dropped. What does that mean? Where, where, like, what happened? Tell us that story. Exactly. The wording was something ar- around the fact that you in this room, some of you have a hole in your life. Um, and you might be trying to fill that with, uh, and this will sound tame to you today, but <laughs> <laughs> um, you might be filling that with a de- desire for a motorbike or fashion. Uh, you know, we, we've gone a bit further down that yeah, indeed. <laughs> down the slippery slope these days, but that was the essence of it. And And so you have this hole and it's a God-shaped hole and only God can fill it. And I, I just understood for the first time that he was the only one that was going to give me that satisfaction. And as a very serious, um, studious um, in, introvert, I, I needed that intimacy. I really needed that that anchor of relationship with God. Um, I didn't feel necessarily as in, involved with my parents as I would have liked to have been. Mm-hmm. I didn't see the relationship some of my peers had with their father. And so that was really a turning point. I, I knew what it was to be loved. I understood at fir- for the first time what it was to be loved. Wow, that's awesome. So then you said you started studying. So were you just kind of on your own? Were you were you just studying scripture? What was that like and there how did that shape you? What you probably have too in America with Bible camps, uh, annual things like that. And, okay. Um, a monthly youth meeting. But in between, in between all that, I survived on things like um, youth devotionals and um, reading my Bible. For, yeah. for all I could possibly manage uh, as someone without any of the guidance, really, that you can tap into so easily these days. But I am a natural uh, student, so God is gracious. He, he, gave, me, he gave me learning. He, he set a foundation to, for me to set my face, to learn and to understand truth. And I've always loved the word of God Yeah, um, that ever since that time yeah interesting so that's very um so it sounds like that's where your sort of scriptural foundation came from when you Mm. you took this natural bent for study and kind of dug in yeah and Um, one of the really foundational studies i did was a year in um the bible in one year by um selwyn hughes oh cool and he'd he'd broken up the whole of the bible into um booklets two-month booklets that took us through everything in what was felt to be the chronological order in which it was written. Yeah. And um, that really was open. It was spellbinding. And it, and it would layer things from the old and the new and, and the uh, inspirational scriptures every day as well. It was really excellent. Very cool. And I got a great understanding of who is who. 
<laughs> right. Yeah. So it's interesting. At times I've been a critic of like reading the Bible in a, in a whole year, right? But there's times in your life when it is really valuable, right? There's a time in your development when getting that yeah. big picture is really yeah. important. And for me, I have to have the big picture. I don't learn easily when I've only had little pieces and yeah. they're not connected and I haven't had the help to link those together. So once I had that overview, I was I was really aware with I was just flying. Yeah, that's fantastic. Okay, so you go to school and you said that you experienced really community there for the first time. Mm, yeah. What was that like and how did that shape you? Well, the, um, there was a Christian union and uh, when I attended my university in a city called Hull, um, they were probably 200, 250 strong at the time, that group. And there were some very big giants spiritually, I would say, looking back who um, were, were streets ahead of me in terms of spiritual experience and um, power in their lives and expectation and belief in God and, and practiced their faith. They, they prayed for one another. They laid hands on one another. You know, we saw healings. We, we reached our friends, our, our peers. Evangelism was a really major thrust. And... Um, in my third year at university, I was the mission secretary, which was something that was only um, done about every four years. So it was a cycle that I had the privilege to be involved in outreach and handling a big campaign on that scale was quite a big thing for someone at 21 years old. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so privileged to serve God in, in many ways. And um, my hunger for, for him, I would say, rather than the quality of my lifestyle, was the big thing that probably pointed me out to anybody. Right. How did that manifest itself? The hunger? Yeah. Um, well, I was. I, I have to say that if I met myself now as I was, I think I'd probably find myself very intense mm. um as a as a student nurse i was juggling this um two two different lives it was unusual being a university student undergraduate and a nurse so i was i was going to be awarded a, a degree in nursing as well as a registration as a, a nurse and they were they were quite new in the early 80s mid 80s so I was both in a hall of residence and I was up perhaps at five o'clock the next morning in, um, in an attempt to cycle, because I was a poor student, to cycle five miles to the city hospital to do the scheduled rotor. So uh, I had this two-sided two life and um, I had to be disciplined. I had yeah. to be able to go to get to sleep. I had to be able to, to uh, pray. And, and read and, and be on form for the day. And I took that all very seriously. I, I would get up with um, Operation Mobilization's World Prayer Manual and pray through that for half an hour on top of a devotional before an early shift. Wow. Which I wouldn't do now, but, you know, it was just a season of shaping, forming, prioritizing, and really learning to look beyond myself and my small world. Yeah, well, I think that's really actually very important because um, mm. you made a good point. Like, yeah, well, you wouldn't do it now, but you might not need it now, right? Like, it's a different, possibly, it's yeah. a different kind of a time. I I had a friend who 
said to me, he was, so we're back to Bible in a year, but his school was doing Bible in a year. They're reading it. And he says, I don't get like, I used to be so passionate about this and now I don't really love it. It's kind of annoying to me. And I said, yeah, it's cause you've grown, right. You've grown past that. And so you're, you need something else. And uh, that happens sometimes, right? We need yeah. what we need where we are changes. Absolutely. We've got to be so careful that we don't uh, impose on people around us what we think we need at our stage in the journey um, because it might not be what they need at theirs. Yes. Yeah, I have that quote in my email from Oswald Chambers that says, never make a principle out of uh, your experience with God because uh, or leave room for God to be as original with other people as he is with you. That's really good. Which I thought yeah. was great. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So... Um, all right. So you're hungry, you're disciplined, you're getting your, mm-hmm. your nursing degree and, and you're being kind of shaped in, in the word. Um, yeah. is there any kind of like, do you have any, were there any particular mentors or any kind of like wow. scriptures or anything that like stands out to you? Like moments when you went, Oh, and it's kind of God really grabbed you in some way. Well, Mentors, definitely, that was essential. Um, I thought you might come to that. And there was a woman who was my pastor in her 50s, the the age I am now, uh, who was excellent at bringing young people along. Um, And she she certainly, I would say I was a protege in a way. She certainly encouraged me and built into me a real ability to um, trust that God is real and absolutely involved in everything we do uh, so the mentorship definitely it was a spiritual mom I would call her that that continued to influence my life and, and has done since um, as for scriptures one of the scriptures that has been really dear to me over many many years is that the word does not return void and I think I would bring that one out because so often the word has been planted in our lives, in our memories, in our spirits, and and germinates far longer than we mm. expected it to need to have to do that. Right. And um, what what I've learned is that when nothing seems to happen, or when the word does seem to return void, it's not that it hasn't returned with nothing in its hand. It's because it hasn't yet come back, and it's only time that's possibly our enemy in that respect. And, and so patience is a virtue that he is very keen that we understand and learn. And, and frustration is um, a vice, a yeah. vice, I would say, of mine that I've really had to wrestle with. And so to, to honor that scripture from Isaiah, that the word does not return void, is there, it will accomplish that which it's been sent forth to do. Amen. Is there a time when you thought that the word was just useless or that you that it was like that it was void or that you didn't think mm. God was going to come through that you felt like? There, there have been and, and there are still words that haven't returned. And um, I can honestly say, Eric, that I, st- I have the ability to trust that where things haven't worked out, and sometimes they haven't on a f- terrible scale, um, where they haven't worked out, it's because I've either misunderstood it or misapplied it, or it just yet has not been the right time for that response 
from him or in the way that I expected it to. So um, I've never doubted the integrity of the word. Um, I just doubt my own ability to understand it sometimes. Sure. And that goes back to that patience. Is there, do you have like an example of one that you want to share? Um, you don't have to. Yeah. Um, one of the biggest disruptions of my life was having been a pastor for a number of years, which was with my uh, ex-husband. And uh, we were handed a church that was um, given over to us by outgoing pastors who were returning to their home home country in Australasia. So it was a handover that was above board and everything was um, absolutely blessed. But the church struggled and um, we found ourselves over, overpowered by a very controlling um, attitude towards what we were doing from the other side of the world. And um, so we sought advice from a trusted regional leader, spiritual great, who if I mentioned his name, you probably have heard of him. And um, he just said, well, have you got the faith for this? Stand on your own faith and come out from under their leadership. If, they're there, if their uh, leaders do not release you, then go, go forward without all that covering. And um, we did. However, um, I, I lived detention uh, over years. And I think somebody, Bill Hybels, put it very well in a book he wrote called Courageous Leadership. Yeah. where he described this um, journey uh, as a boy on a go-kart r- rushing down a slope where he had no brakes on his go-kart and he had to decide whether or not, as a fear of crashing escalated all the way down this hill, should he throw himself off now or should he just hang on and wait till the crash? And I felt that was my five or six years as a pastor And so everything that I felt I'd been given as a word, and I truly believe I was, uh, for whatever reason, matched with perhaps the wrong wrong partnership, the wrong timing, and, and a certain natural disaster that happened as well, which was a flood of our whole building by the local river. Oh, wow. Lots of things that really, really were disastrous for us meant that, um, a word I received from him about um, a parable from Ezekiel 17. And I still hold it uh, true for my life, even though it didn't come about for my church at the time, was that he would take from the top of a tall tree a sprig and he would replant it on a mountain and it would grow very tall. And uh, I, I took principles from that, 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 that our initiative was going to grow and expand and be of high stature and amazing attraction. And it didn't, it, <laughs> yeah. it completely faltered, but that didn't take away for me eventually an understanding that the principles were true. Um, I, I have loads of questions to ask him when I get there. Right. I still love that parable. <laughs> That's in Ezekiel 17. Um, and it's, it, I called those principles, fivefold principles, the flow of fruition. But I haven't yet seen that fruition in my life. 
yeah, to that extent. Which, which can cause us some, um, like you said, questions, right? Can cause mm-hmm. us to kind of go, okay, what does that mean, God? And mm-hmm. so is that, that's a, sounds like a tension that you're still wrestling with. Yes, it is. Um, I, I think that when I started nursing, my journey with nursing and finding out which area of practice I wanted to commit to for my career, uh, I, I kept thinking, well, it wasn't that ward and it wasn't that specialty and it wasn't this area. What is it? What's next? What could it be? What could it be? And and yes, there is a restlessness still. Um, but in all of that, learning to be at rest in the moment, in the day, and take joy in the small uh, events and blessings is, is a very, very big lesson from the last 10 years of my life. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So you find yourself in this nursing career, right? Mm-hmm. And you and you said that you kind of are trying to different things then. Um, and, and you're, you said you got married. So we kind of skipped over that. You got, you got married and then eventually divorced. take us through some of that, like how God, God was working with you during those times. You said you were a pastor and, mm. Um, yeah, as I, um, I, I met my husband, my first husband, um, through Christian circles. And, um, I, I, th- I think that nowadays, um, I would use the, the terms red flags that I should have noticed were yeah. there, but I didn't know and, and understand any of that. And I was definitely swept off my feet and we did have, we did have a good start and people, would see us as this is a strange thing. I don't know why this happened, but they would almost call us beautiful people. Mm. But really, um, I was neglected emotionally and I didn't understand what that was. I wasn't flourishing or thriving and I ended up carrying all the weight of responsibility in that marriage for the church, our breadwinning our children's discipline, etc. So it was very lopsided and um, lasted 17 years until I had a moment where after the church had failed and the flood had taken away our building and I eventually, or quite soon after that, realised that with the huge weight I was carrying that I had to resign Um that was the end of that. And we spent two years estranged under one roof just so that I could keep the house for my children and not have to um, have them out in the cold. So it was a very difficult time. And um, I, learned, I, I learned and I felt God say to me something that's quite controversial, really, that he loves the institution of marriage but he was really clear to me that he was saying, I love you more than the institution mm. of marriage. Wow. And that was so incredible. Uh, I mean, it's obviously a major failure and a very public humiliation. Uh, one that with the roles that I had carried was embarrassing mm. and um, devastating. My children were scared scandalized really and uh, so was I and uh, I, I think it probably took a, a good five years to feel anywhere near whole again yeah 
but but that's a journey in which I learned to trust for his provision and uh, his blessing and and I learned the value of community again in that because the church is such a refuge at times like that and, and did, did the church come around you yeah I knew wow. a new church a different one that I had sure. joined and that allowed me to receive for quite a long season of time just to just heal and to cope with finding a new identity in in him yeah I'm really curious if you don't mind going there about um the you said you're sort of scandalized because you had, I guess you'd been in this position of ministry right and so mm-hmm. there's a way that we sort of uh, and you tell me correct me if I like my misunderstanding I only have my American context right so um, but the that we kind of put people on a pedestal and we expect them to be if they're in ministry completely spiritually mature and completely like they've got everything figured out with no problems mm-hmm. <laughs> right and I don't know if it's there that way there too but it. Uh, it it's a really unrealistic expectation. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Yeah, and and it's it's two way because if our leaders aren't able to expose some of that vulnerability, where do they go? Right. Um there is a fact I believe that it's true that we should bleed upwards rather than downwards. If if we have problems as leaders then we go to those who are ahead of us in the game and who are discreet and who are more wise than we are, but they are hard to find at times. Yeah. And um, yeah, the, if, if you have no friends as well, and that's a dangerous place to be as a pastor, isolated. Yeah. And that happens all too often, all too it often. Does. Yeah, it absolutely. Does. Okay. Well, interesting. Thank you for sharing that. And uh, cause I think that that's, it, it sounds like it was a very dark season for you in, in many ways. And yet, um, coming out of it, you were able to find some, some not just community, but also the Lord kind of providing for you through that. Absolutely, yeah. I love what you said too that God loves. Uh, he loves you more than He loves the institution of marriage, which <laughs> is <do? laughs> yeah. I mean, that's beautiful. It's yeah. It's uh, I was reading today. I was reading the good um, the woman at the well in John four. Oh yeah, right. Mm-hmm. And I had this thought, um, I was actually thinking about her and how I've always thought of her as being very sort of standoffish with Jesus. And I, I had this sort of tone from her today that, that was more like, uh, I don't know, sprightly and kind of like just engaging in a, in a, in a way that, um, where Jesus, instead of being confrontational with her, he was very, like they were sort of on this equal footing and his, his, his mm-hmm. picture of her knowing where she's been and you know, her whole life uh, was still one of being a human being who really mattered to God, even though he should, she shouldn't have as a Jew. Right. And I thought, well, that's really an interesting um, picture of God's heart for people. Oh yeah. Uh and he surprises us every time he moves or turns or speaks. He And the, the disciples were always taken off guard. And I love that about Jesus. Right. Right. But, <laughs> but it says a lot about us, doesn't it? Like, I think, I think that's the thing. Like we, we're like the disciples in that we expect God to be a certain way. Yeah. And we expect him to care about all of the other things. And it turns out he cares about us. 
And that's what's surprising. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Okay. I know you eventually start writing. And so take us into that journey. Okay. Well, backtrack a little, because I have always written journals. So from the age of eight, always loved to record historical um, facts, which most of that was very dull, I'm sure. But as I became older, it became more expressive and descriptive. And I I can only say now that although much of that would would be boring to read, there was a honing, there was a practice, there there was a skill being developed there, which now I've made use of. Always very keen on creative writing, um, always able to perform in written exams. That kind of aspect was there. And so um, writing for me has been there in terms of producing academic papers in nursing it's been it's been a discipline but to be able to give my opinions my feelings my thoughts in a public way um is is first of all it's very scary but once you've given yourself permission to do that and feel comfortable that you are just a human being there'll be other human beings out there who need to hear what you have to say because they have the need for you to articulate that they're feeling those things as well. Then it's okay to do that. And uh, so once I learned to just throw it all down on paper in one mode, the creative mode, and not try and edit at the same time, I, I was free. Mm-hmm. And I started to find that a, a joy. Um, so my first book was written in that dark period and it was called Disentangling Genius. And I um, really just, w- it was just an explosion of creativity. And it, I just got down in about four months, um, a kind of a manifesto for life that was an antidote to frustration. And uh, all the obstacles that I felt I'd faced, I I nailed and I, I named them all, and I dealt with each one. And I found a hero in history, or or um, even co- contemporary life that addressed that and spoke to people. Or nursery rhymes that we know. It was a Christian. Um, it had a Christian basis, but I wanted it to be accessible to people who didn't know God. So um, that was that was that was that, and then the one that I have written or published just recently is it's been simmering for twenty years, Eric. It's, wow. it's not something that came together easily, yeah. and that really was born out of um, all of the lessons of transition from being thirty to fifty fifty odd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, which is which is interesting, right? Although I've I've recently, so I just turned. Well, I'm gonna be 43 in a couple of months, but like I, I'm so grateful. Like I'd rather be 43 than than not, right? Like there's the <laughs> alternative. Want to do it yeah, again, <laughs> right? And it's it's good to actually get a little bit older and and learn yeah. uh, and find more a little more of yourself, right? Yeah. And, and celebrate that and be be cool with saying, I'm not good at this, this and this, right. but this is what I can do and what I can help you with. And uh, there's no shame in that and there's no pride in that. You know, I really do believe God has given each one of us a totally unique gift, if, you're, if only one. Um, and that, that is the thing we are meant to discover and release and get it into 
practice and into uh, exercise into people's lives because we owe that to everyone. Yeah, absolutely. So tell us a little more about this book. Um, it's called As If. Yeah. Which I think is a is a great title. So tell us about kind of what you were trying to do and, and how you structured that. Well, um, one day, um, 20 odd years ago, I was commuting over a canal in the, at the dusk and uh, I looked to my right and I saw the canal all lit up golden in the sunset. And uh, as I looked to my left, um, this is how God sometimes speaks to me, just a visual, just something that happens in a moment as I'm driving. Um, I looked to my left and the waters were choppy and dark. And I suddenly thought, hang on a minute, I'm here halfway down this watercourse. I can see that it's, got, it's golden over there and it's dark over here. If I was standing on my left here beyond that dark stretch and looking this way, all of that would be golden. And I suddenly had this insight that God stands at the completion of our lives mm. and he sees that whole golden strip of light across our lives even when we can't, or there's a remainder that we can't see it on. And this was a, such a liberating uh, insight to me about the sovereignty mm. of God, and that if I was to put myself in his shoes or in, in his, use, use the mind of Christ or stand in his shoes and say, that's Jill's life, that's how it looks to me, that's how she's going to be able to do it, that's the achievement she will have attained, then I would have a courage and, and a perseverance like nothing I've never ever experienced, and uh, and so the the book is written um, and it's called as if because I want people to know the power of living as if they mm. have completed and achieved and fulfilled everything that's been spoken over their lives, every promise that they've ever held dear and uh, pr prophecy that's been spoken and tested over their life so that they then live as if that was true, even has already happened. So I wrote this book with three main threads. One is that I am 89 years old, looking back on my life, from a position at the end of this canal, talking to my great-granddaughter about the lessons I've had along life's path, yeah, uh, or, or along the route, of course, of the water. And we stop at various bridges, and the book is split into... Uh, six sections there are six bridges and each one of those um tells the story of a route or a journey on a narrow boat along the canal from liverpool to leeds which is two cities on either coast west and east of, of england in the north it's a famous canal and if your listeners don't know the canal industry in, in Great Britain was at its heyday in the 1800s, mid-1700s and onwards. And it was what brought cities together and enabled um, industry to, to just explode. Uh, it was the cheapest and the best form of, of um, transport. And at the time, lots of uh, labour forces were sent to dig out these channels and they would, it was excruciating work. And what I do is I liken the cross section of a canal as the channel being God and his purpose, the lining, which is the waterproofing of clay that was pummeled together with water in this process called puddling. 
and sealed the waterway. That clay is the life, the broken life, the body of Jesus. That is Christ in his father. And then it's filled with the water, which takes us on our course as a powerful vehicle for life, as the Holy Spirit. So I've, I've made my crude attempt to explain the Trinity through the metaphor of canals, yeah. the journey on that canal. And then finally, I explain uh, and weave in the, the life of Jacob, who was a striver and very much, though I hate to admit it, I, I parallel my life and my striving and my perfectionism, workaholism with him and how I had my 20-year wrestling match if you like, yeah. out of fellowship or out of in the cold until I really let God have his way with me. So those are the three uh, elements and um, it doesn't necessarily fit any one genre, but it's, it's, I think it's an exciting read and I think it's a wonderful guide and discipleship journey. Yeah, I love that metaphor. I love that you uh, dedicated it to your Unborn great great granddaughter or great <laughs> yes. granddaughter, yeah. yeah, yeah. I saw that and I thought, oh, that's that's beautiful because it's it's thinking, you know, it's thinking from that perspective and going, okay, you can see. I think too, um, while you're talking, I was thinking about how God, you're right. He sees us not just at the end of our lives, but He sees us as He made us to be, and we will be in eternity, right? Yeah. Like that. <clears throat> yeah, that is beautiful. And to think about all the things that to us seem like. Um, hindrances or mm. ticks or whatever. Like, there's a yeah. reason people who are really spiritually mature are a little bit weird sometimes, right? Like, <laughs> pe- people have really found them not only themselves, but then they love like Jesus. They don't care about the stuff that we care about. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. they they care about just being themselves. Yeah, and that's sometimes a little strange. No, that's good. I love I love eccentric people. Yeah. Probably am one of those people. <laughs> <laughs> which but that speaks to kind of being who who you were made to be and it sounds like you've worked really hard to kind of to kind of get there and it's been a long journey sure um going back to the ticks and obstacles that you mentioned um yeah very much a reference to the locks and the gates that we have to pass through yeah. and uh the water levels of different stretches of the canal are different. Um, and obviously water doesn't climb up hills. So engineering feat was that we were able to compartmentalize sections of the water and then use engineering mechanics to raise or lower the water levels in each compartment or pound so that the passage of the boats could go through. And this is very much a picture of ourselves when we are in a season of life where we feel that we're contained where we can't progress and something has to give usually deep down inside before we are permitted to pass through and uh, the beautiful analogy of the um, sluice gates which are simply um, clockwork driven paddles that are raised up underneath the water level that equalize the water from the one level to the next I see that very much as our submission and yielding to his purposes. 
before the, the gates can open without an effort, they'll never open. The water pressure is so, so uh, resistant until that water level on both sides of the gate is equalized. And he has, he has to give us time to do that. Yeah. And it does take time, right? If you've ever been in a lock, you have to go and yeah. you wait and then you keep waiting. You're like, come on, let's go. And no, you can't. You got to just <laughs> wait till all that evens out and then it's safe for us to go and the bridge or whatever it is that goes yeah. down. It. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. That's what a great metaphor. I love that for the spiritual life. That's really good. Thank you. Yeah. Well, Phil, my second husband and I have just returned from a two-week tour of a circular piece of canal. So we did a whole circuit on a narrow boat as a way of launching the book, but also uh, just a beautiful first-hand experience of my analogy because all of it's come from memories from my childhood and countryside walks and picnics and, and family times. But it's all come flooding back to me just recently as we've put ourselves in this position and brought the whole thing to life. It's been wonderful. Yeah, that's beautiful. Very good. Uh, have you been sharing pictures of that? I don't... Yeah, um, I have I have related all of that on my Facebook page, um, which is called Jill Bentham Author. So um, there are many videos on there and uh, I'll read short excerpts from the book in there. And, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Instagram, my uh, handle is at Jill Dares. Perfect. Very good. So I'll put links to both your Instagram and your Facebook in the show notes at halfwaytherepodcast.com. So friends, you can just go find that uh, right there. And I'm pretty sure we're connected on both of those. And uh, so that's great. Um, Jill, thank you for sharing just a little bit of your story here, some of your writing. And uh, I love that metaphor. So is there anything you want to leave us with? Um, I think one of the scriptures that has become very meaningful to me late to life, because um, you asked me about an earlier one. Yeah. The, the later one that's really meant a lot is uh, prov from Proverbs 13, uh, and I think this is relevant to young people as well as uh, the rest of uh, the population. And I, th I think about young people because it was a time when I was extremely anxious, uncertain, worried, had a lot of pressure on my life to perform and do well. And that was a lot of that self-inflicted. But um, the, the scripture is hope deferred makes the mm. heart sick. Yeah, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life, and that is a paradox. And I've walked through that tension for many years because I believe in setting out your vision, and and the, the Bible says that without a vision we we will perish. But at the same time, we don't always see that fulfilled, and we don't see it fulfilled in the way that we expected it. But um, I encourage people to dig down into what that means for them because they must have hope and they must know that it may be deferred, but they have to guard against that meaning that their heart becomes sick. And that's a very dangerous place to be and a difficult place to get back from. So I feel there are lessons in there because we need to have hopes that are achievable, hopes that are based on promises and truths rather than fantasy. In fact, the subtitle of my book was uh, Steering Your Life Without Strife, 
navigating from fantasy to faith and rising from delusion into destiny. And sometimes we base our hopes and dreams on what someone else has said or, or modelled. And we really must base it on what he has said and what he wants for us and what rings true because he will give us something to do with our lives that rings true to how he's created us to be. And when we're in that sweet spot, wow, the desire fulfilled yep. is a tree of life. Amen. Yeah, and that you just know. It's something you just know. And you have to you have to let go of all the other things mm. that uh, you were doing. Man, I was thinking about that today because I worked 13 years in the financial industry. And I was so glad this morning I didn't work there anymore <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> because I get to do, I get to spend time with you today. That's awesome. Yeah. And that yeah. gives me life. So, man, yeah, I get great. that. Good for following your dreams, Eric. Well, we'll see. Well, it hasn't paid off yet, but <laughs> but but sometimes going the right direction is the right is more important. So, absolutely. Anyway, Jill, thank you so much for sharing some of your story and sharing your work, friends. You can get copies of Jill's work. Um, you can get as if, uh, like I said, at halfwaytherepodcast.com in the show notes. I've got links, so you don't have to remember that. Um, or you can just get it at Amazon and uh, or Jill's website, which is I have it right here jillbentham.com right absolutely there we go perfect so uh, Jill thanks for being here I appreciate it ah thank you thank you everyone Eric I'd just like to make the offer to your listeners that if they would like to go to my contact page and um, pop their email in there and say they come from from your podcast I'll put them in a drawer for a free digital copy of a Kindle version of my book. And that will come straight into your inbox. Perfect. That'd be great. So if you want to do that, just go to, again, jillbentham.com. And you said hit the contact button. Contact form, yeah. Contact form. Yep, hit that. And then uh, you can get a free, get in the drawing for a free copy. That'd be great. Thank you. 